and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a weekly news analysis podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. Uh, this week, we're going to be continuing to talk about the United States election, talk about Trump's bragging about the murder of an anti-fascist activist by federal police, talk about the recent elections in Bolivia, and finally bring you a see you in hell about a Nazi collaborator from Norway. As we get closer and closer to the end of the election season in the United States, remember, uh, in most cases, if you are a registered voter in the United States, election day is not just the day to vote. It's probably just the last day you can vote. Uh, where I am here in California, for example, ballots are able to be turned in from now and in fact, from like a week ago, but from now until election day. So get that shit done with uh, if you haven't done it already. Anyway, PSA over. As the election cycle draws closer to, well, not a close, but the close of actual voting, there are further and further reports about possible right-wing violence perpetrated by white nationalists, white supremacists, fascists, boogaloo people, and various, you know, a whole panoply of other potential actors on the right-wing in the United States. For example, there are reports that a right-wing militant was found with arms intended to uh, assassinate Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. There are also further reports that states like Michigan and Georgia can expect a lot more electoral and partisan violence, specifically around voting, voting booths, ballots, ballot turn-ins, ballot boxes, things like that. This is in addition to other recent reports that have shown that, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, you would have known this already. But in case you were wondering, the vast majority of political violence committed in the United States over the last 25 years has been committed by right-wing activists. Uh, in fact, to date, since the 1990s, only one death uh, has been attributable to the extreme left, uh, to anti-fascists. That is, of course, the killing in Portland, which is something that I'm going to be getting back to later on in this podcast. Now, like I said before, this is precisely what you should have been expecting if you're a regular listener to this podcast or if you pursue any other political news in the United States or even around the world. We have been getting prepared for increasing amounts of right-wing violence since 2016, basically. And honestly, I have to tell you, as somebody who pays very close attention to these kinds of things, so far we've actually been relatively lucky, or rather we've been very successful as a civilization at containing right-wing violence. It hasn't been nearly as bad as it could be. However, unfortunately, I'm probably not the first person to tell you that it could be getting very, very, very much worse over the course of the next few weeks and months. Especially since we know that it's very unlikely that we will have a complete and accurate picture of which candidate, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, has won the election on November 3rd. That means that there will be plenty of time for, well, shenanigans of varying stripes. Um, we can fully expect right-wing partisans to attack voters, uh, to try to manipulate ballot counting uh, and ballot collection, especially since they have already done this. You know, indeed, they're already doing these things. We can expect those efforts to ramp up, especially in certain states. Um, namely both states that have already been particular targets for right-wing partisans and right-wing militants, such as California and Oregon, 
but also states that are particular swing states. Um, namely, we're talking about Michigan, uh, potentially even places like Georgia, uh, which is supposedly in contest um, when it comes to the actual presidential race. Now, whoever wins the election, whenever we know who has won, no matter what, we can expect an increase in partisan violence, an increase in electoral violence, unlike anything that the United States has seen for quite a long time, arguably since 1968 at the very earliest, possibly since the ramp up to the Civil War, uh, something known as Bleeding Kansas, which maybe I'll get to next week, talk about a little bit more extensively. Another thing that's happened recently in the United States is Trump has continued to double down on his praising uh, federal officers for the murder of anti-fascist activist Reinal. Recall that Reinal was killed by federally deputized local police as the suspect in the killing of a right-wing protester uh, earlier this year. Trump boasted that these officers killed him quickly and even doubled down to the point of acknowledging that they just shot him without even attempting to subdue him. That makes this an extrajudicial killing perpetrated in broad daylight by local cops operating under federal jurisdiction, killing a suspected political dissident without any kind of process, and the president openly praising it. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's bad news, and it's not something we're going to be able to not get used to. Next, we have some good news. Good news coming out of 15 Minutes of Fascism. Now, I know that this is probably your new source for pessimistic news, but hey, you know, I, 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 have, to, I have to look at some silver linings when we get them. Uh, this one regards the recent presidential and indeed national elections in the country of Bolivia, uh, which were a massive victory for the MAS party, Movimiento al Socialismo party, after a coup last year brought down their sitting president, Evo Morales. Now, the coup last year wasn't exactly fascist, but it was certainly supported by fascist elements in the country, such as the Union Juvenil Cruciencista, the Santa Cruz Youth Union, Santa Cruz being uh, the major economic business power in Bolivia. Last week's election was a total electoral rout. The mass presidential candidate, Acre, just totally dominated the election. He won outright in a field of six real candidates, meaning that there was no need for a runoff election. He won to the point that the leaders of the coup government couldn't even begin to claim that he hadn't won. It was so clear. Mas also has majorities, but not super majorities, in both uh, chambers of the Bolivian Congress. Ousted President Morales says that he will try to be taking the leader of the OAS, uh, Almagro, uh, an Uruguayan man, uh, to the International Criminal Court for his role in supporting claims that the 2019 election was fraudulent, which was the whole, that was the beginning, that was the catalyst for getting Morales to uh, escape, to, to, to renounce the presidency and leave Bolivia. Um, this would be super interesting um, because the OAS, the Organization of American States, uh, is an organization created in large part by the United States during the Cold War in order to oppose what the United States and its allies perceived to be the encroachment of communism into the Americas via Cuba and ultimately supposedly the Soviet Union. Of course, history has shown us that 
In fact, the Soviet Union did very little uh, in Latin America and that Cuba's involvement in the actual governance or actually causing revolutions in Latin America was relatively limited, whereas right-wing organization and especially right-wing international organization aided and abetted by international forces such as the United States, but um, also countries like France and Israel, um, is massive in Latin America's history. Now, all of this aside, what this means is that this is the former president of a nation state, a person who was illegitimately ousted from his position when the military of his country called on him to resign because of claims by international figures without substantiation that the election was fraudulent. Uh, He is trying to bring him in front of the International Criminal Court. And that would be an extremely interesting development because it would mean that this is a way for the Bolivian people to seek justice for what was done to them and what was done to their duly elected president without actually necessarily angering the powers in Bolivia that perpetrated the coup in the first place, which is always a difficult calculus when a country is returning to democracy after a coup. Now, exactly what's going to happen is something that we'll only be seeing in the coming weeks, months, and years. So this is a time to start paying attention to Bolivian politics, which you should have been doing anyway. And for this week's See You in Hell, I'm bringing you the original Nazi collaborator. Well, he wasn't the original one, but you know, uh, the original Nazi collaborator, Vidkun Kisling of Norway. Now, this guy is such a famous collaborator that his very name, Quisling, um, Q-U-I-S-L-I-N-G, uh, has become a word that literally means collaborator. It, the, his name means somebody who collaborates with an occupying force. Now, Quisling was a Norwegian Arctic explorer and soldier in the World War I era, and he got into politics and founded a nationalist group called the National Union. He tried to declare a collaborationist government as the Nazis invaded, uh, but failed because the Nazis wanted to set up their own collaborationist government by themselves, and they did that. And who did they pick to lead their government but Vidkun Kisling, uh, somebody who was clearly eager to take up the job. Uh, Kisling was a collaborator in the most literal sense. Uh, He worked with Germans on economic and political matters. He made it so that they didn't need to really occupy the territory unnecessarily, uh, which was lucky for them because it meant that the majority of the Scandinavian peninsula was not involved in World War II with the exception of Finland because Sweden was neutral and Denmark did not put up any resistance to the Nazi invasion, or at least extremely, extremely, extremely limited resistance. Um, This enabled the Germans to move those forces to the Eastern Front to to fight the Soviets. In addition, Quisling uh, collaborated in the perpetration of the Holocaust. He helped the Germans identify people whom they wanted to, quote, deport um, to uh, extermination camps and labor camps. Quisling ruled uh, Norway as prime minister under the Nazis uh, until May 1945. This is the fall of the Nazi regime. Uh, at this point, the writing was on the wall, right? And the Allies were starting to enter Norway. Quisling did not offer any resistance. He 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 said that you know you should just you should fold. You should just let the Allies come in. Uh, and he wanted to be tried just like any of the other people in the um, National Union. He, he didn't want any particular special treatment. 
And that's exactly what he got. He didn't, he didn't get any special treatment at all uh, from the new Norwegian government, uh, aided in part by the Norwegian resistance fighters. Uh, he was charged and tried for murder uh, of a prominent activist, uh, murder, treason, and a series of other corruption charges. He was then sentenced to death uh, and was killed by firing squad this week, October 24th, 1945. So Vidkun Kistling and everybody who takes up your namesake will see you in hell. All right. That was this week's 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. I'd like to thank Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro and outro music and our graphics. And I will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.